Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to get to today, as usual. A mailbag coming up later on in the program. Yannick Hansen coming up as well. And some thoughts on uh, on Bruce Boudreaux as well uh, after uh, today's media availability and uh, really uh, a lot of discussion around Bruce, that situation, and uh, how the Canucks could have handled it better. But we're starting today's show on Bo Horvat, the captain. We mentioned it yesterday, Sat. You mentioned yeah. it yesterday, how you'd been hearing – Chatter picking up around the captain. And Elliot Friedman mentioned it on today's 32 Thoughts drop. Where are we at right now with the captain? Just how hot is this getting as we head into the weekend? Well, I mean, I don't want to overstate things and say they're they're getting to a point where we should expect to trade. But it's like I mentioned last night. We're at a stage now. And for the longest time, up until now... Um, you know, we called, I, I've called it the boring updates that I have, yes. which are like, nothing's happening. Oh. You know, like it's not much, not much is going on. Don't expect this. Don't expect that. Being honest, those are my least favorite updates. Yes, they are. And for about 44 games of yeah. this season, I've been boring you with these types of updates. I can no, no longer bore you <laughs> with the boring updates because we're at a point now where anything can happen. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and, and I think it's becoming interesting now because I think the teams that are interested are really showing their hand in terms of their level of interest and they're hinting towards what they might be willing to give up. And it's substantial enough that, hey, if you're willing to give this up yeah. and you're this close to perhaps giving Vancouver what they want, we're not that far away from, what do you always say, Dan? Yeah. Getting a deal done? Or one phone call. <laughs> oh, the one phone right. call. How could I forget the one phone the call? The one phone call. You always talk Where? about the one phone call. Yeah. The one phone call away situation. Yeah, it's like, let's just add this and let's go. Yeah. And I think we're getting close to that. And I think that's finally exciting because now we can look at, okay, what are teams that are being mentioned? What can you really realistically expect? What's going to be happening here with Bo Horvat? So the teams being um, at least talked about so far, and we've known some of the more obvious ones, I guess, uh, Carolina, potentially... Colorado, who's in town tonight and has a very uh, big need uh, through the middle of the ice after losing Nazem Kadri to free agency last year after winning the Stanley Cup. We've talked about the Minnesota Wilds. Um, Are these the biggest players right now for Bo Horvat, or are there other teams entering the mix? I think a couple teams that I'm keeping a very close eye on uh, are the LA Kings. Oh, wow. And the New Jersey Devils. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think both those teams not only have what Vancouver is looking for, but have a level of interest, which makes it interesting. Okay, uh, I would say, so Elliot sort of mentioned uh, a couple of maybe surprise teams that, yeah. that could be in this. Both would, for me, be surprise teams. Like, yes. just from my perspective, looking at them and, and seeing um, their situations, like you've got Kopitar in L.A., you've got Philip Deneau, in LA, does Bo all of a sudden work as more of a uh, uh, offensive center, and Deneau really takes all of the matchup duties, which he yeah. would normally do anyways. But it, 
seems like kind of a good spot. But, you know, they've got Byfield. They've just brought up Turcotte uh, from, from the AHL after he's had some some tough injuries. I, don't, I, I never really considered them to necessarily be a fit. And then, of course, in, in New Jersey, you have Nico Heischer and Jack yeah. Hughes playing your top two center positions. Yeah, and you look at it and you say, well, the fit isn't quite there. And one thing I've been mentioning is you look at teams that have success, they have depth down the middle. And they have centers that can play wing at times, and good teams are able to play their three centers down the middle when they want to, and they can really get going. And you have options. And if you have the more guys you have that are capable of playing center, the more likely you are to have success, especially if you can have your three centers coexist on the same power play. Yeah. I think you can have he share Horvat and um, Jack Hughes on the same power play, especially where you like to play. Mm-hmm. Horvat, which is in that bumper slot, and you know where Jack Hughes likes to play off the half wall. Nico Heischer is also more of a half wall type player on the other side. Neither guy's a net front player, and Bo can play net front, or he can play the bumper spot. So if you start projecting how a New Jersey Devils team looks, not only can you get creative and play three centers down the middle, you can load some guys up if you want at times, but you can play all three guys on the power play. And if, if you know you're playing Bo on the power play a ton, and you play yeah. your other guys on the power play a ton, well, you know Bo's going to get his goals no matter what. What's most interesting about those two teams from a Canucks fan perspective, they're both loaded. Yes. In tons. terms of prospects. Tons. And I'm not going to get, I don't know specific. I'm not going to sit here and yeah. lie and say, I know what, where you're looking at. And those are just two teams I find very interesting. And I'm not saying those are the teams that, you know, are, have a lead or anything. And somebody said, they have to sit him now. They're texting into the text inbox. I don't think it's at that stage because I think one more thing will happen. I think when the Canucks are really close to a deal, yes, you'll start hearing about, Maybe Bo Horvat gets sat for a game, but maybe that final phone call also happens to Bo Horvat's side and says, you sure you don't want that deal we offered you? Yeah. Because that's what we have. And if you don't, like, this is going to happen. So I think we're a step or two away from him still being sat out of games, but it's not that far away if things start, keep going. I mean, and listen, we're in January 20th. It's just around the All-Star break. Yeah. You know, and, and teams that want to get ahead of it, this is the time to start getting ahead of it. You get ahead of it, um, especially for a big acquisition like Bo would be, you'd like to get them settled during a bye week or a situation where they'll have a couple of days off. Now, Bo is going to the All-Star game, so that's not yeah. necessarily the easiest thing, but you know his family can potentially get set up in a new city over a couple of weeks while uh, there isn't a ton of things going on. And, you know, whatever team you're on, you're getting a bye week either before or after the All-Star break. So those factors are baked into this as well. And I think a lot of teams might look at it that way where they say, you know, this is good to, to help a player at least get settled into a new city as we go on a stretch run. Now, they obviously aren't the only two teams here. And yeah. this is sort of what happens when you have the number one trade asset at the deadline, which Bo Horvat has essentially become here. Yeah. You're going to have a bit of a lineup of teams looking at Bo Horvat as a potential add to their roster. Yeah, and as we get even closer here, some more teams will start maybe looking at it and saying, hey, we have to start making this move. All it takes is one team really picking up the interest and it forces the other teams into the fray. If there's another team here who has some kind of interest on the outside, if they feel like the market for Bo is heating up, they have to jump in because this is your chance. If you don't jump in now and express your interest you're going to miss the window potentially. And I think that's why you're hearing more and more about teams calling in because it's picking up from that aspect of things. And the reason I look at some teams and I'm like, okay, we hear Pittsburgh, for instance, every once in a while. I'm like, 
what's the fit with Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. We hear Colorado all the time, too. Again, what's the fit with Colorado? Because if Colorado is not willing to move Bowen Byram or you know somebody like that, for instance, and all you're getting is new hooker or first, is that the most enticing deal you're, you're out there looking for? Probably not. The right. fit is somewhat awkward with, with them. You look at some other teams, potentially. Carolina. If Carolina's not, not giving you Jarvis, they're not going to give you net cash. What are we talking about here? Yeah. You know, is that exciting for you? So there are teams out there that are interested, but they're looking at it from, okay, we'll give up. We got a first round pick. We'll give you a, a prospect or whatever and something else, a traditional type of package we're willing to do, maybe an extra pick or two, but we're not willing to give you what you're truly looking for. So look at teams that have what Vancouver's looking for. And those are the ones Vancouver would be more interested in talking to and exploring things with if they can pry those pieces away. And I think you start looking at the teams and the pieces teams have. That's why L.A. is interesting. Yeah. New Jersey is very interesting. And I'm not quite sure on the Boston Bruins because yeah. they keep t- getting talked about a lot. But the Minnesota Wild are also interesting because they have what Vancouver would want. It's a, it's a question of are they willing to give you that. How all-in is Bill Guerin this year, right? You're not going to be able to sign that uh, that player. Are you willing to put up as much as uh, maybe some other teams are or more yeah. than some other teams are in order to get Bo Horvat? Because like, the thing about Minnesota is if, you're, if you were ever going to do it, this would be the year because like we all know like this is your go-for-it year given – the incredible cap penalties they will be incurring with uh, Suter and Parise's buyout over the next two seasons. Precisely. But the, again, the question for them is, we're willing to maybe give you a pick or something, but are we willing to give you the good young players we have that are going to be cheap who we're going to need in one or two years because of what you just mentioned? Yeah. It's a bit of a catch-22. It's like we're willing to give you up something. We're, give, we're willing to give up futures, but not the futures that are going to keep us afloat the next couple of years as well. And that's what gets kind of complicated with the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. And all Those guys keep, on entry levels are yeah. massive for them. And all you keep hearing about Minnesota is they're willing to do stuff, but they're not going to get out of control here. Yeah. So that's why I kind of wonder about that team. And if we keep looking, and oftentimes, what, what oftentimes happens is the teams we don't talk about or the teams that don't get mentioned as much, they usually jump in. And that's why the mystery teams to me are always fascinating. Because <laughs> yes. how often do you hear about teams being linked to a guy and, and the deal never happens? Yeah, and... You know, there's a couple of other teams that are are super interesting that we keep hearing about. Um, Seattle is one. We're getting a lot of those types of questions on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, With Seattle, Seattle to me feels like a team where they'd have to get a deal that's enticing enough to allow Vancouver to say, uh, yeah, you can talk contract with him. They have to. They have to give you the best offer plus a little extra, maybe. Yeah, slightly extra, because if if they're giving you the same offer that's as good as somebody else's best offer, that's similar. If they're not going to Seattle, it's the same type of deal. So they're gonna have to give a little extra. What is that extra? Man, I mean, is it an extra pick? Is it? I mean. It's, yes, it's, maybe, or look, maybe it's like you're willing to give up Shane Wright, yeah. which they're not. I don't. I don't see it at least. It would be a very, <laughs> it'd be a tough ass to give up the guy you just drafted fourth overall. Yeah, you know, um, I I would say you know especially with the way Beniers is already working out for them, and you have Shane Wright, who yes struggled at times this year at the NHL level, but you know how many guys have trou- have yeah. trouble transitioning at the eighteen year at, at age eighteen? I have some questions about 
his ultimate upside, and we talked about that with Shane Wright. Yeah. But by no means are you dismissing anything he's done this year at the NHL level as an 18 year old. He's an 18 year old. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's. But he already displays some really quality defensive awareness. He did. I mean, there are a lot of things to like about him. Yeah. And my only question is ultimate upside. Like, is he going to be that two way impact center or is he going to be a really good just defensive kind of center that gives you something? But is he ultimately that that guy, yeah. so to speak, right? Is there and a we'll ton see. of offense in his Yeah. Team? And maybe there is. And maybe he is going to be a stud, right? I, I hope he does. I mean, I don't root against any prospect in the NHL, to be honest with you. But the other question we keep getting, and you're right about Seattle, I'm not quite sure about the fit because, again, are they going to give you ultimately? They got to pay the for? tax. Yeah. You know? And you're paying the P&W tax, Seattle. Yeah, you are. All right. (laughs) It's like gas prices. We pay more for gas prices. You may you pay more for Bo Horvat. That's how it works. It's like duty. We got to pay duty across the border. Sometimes (laughs) they got to pay the duty. They got to pay the duty. That's what has to happen down the duty of being the the geographical (laughs) rival of the Vancouver Canucks. So we keep getting questions about Jesperi Kokaniemi. Yeah. With the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Vancouver has zero interest in him. I don't see it. Like, I've, I'm not going to say that I know they don't have interest in him, but I'd be surprised. Let me just put it that way. I'd be yes. surprised if Vancouver has interest in him. Like, to me, the Yesperi Cook, you know how people keep talking about the Benning era, the Benning era? These guys are just like Benning. Koke Niemi to me, is like making a Brandon Sutter move. Yeah. I mean, a lot younger, but I get what you're saying. That's kind because I'm, uh, like he might be a really good third line center. Yeah, we signed for seven more years at over four million per season. Yeah, seven Almost, more years, basically just a shade under five million. Yeah, and is he actually going to be a good two way a good two way center that provides offense, or is he just a third line guy? I, and if are you and are you trading? You know, are you doing the Horvat just like the Kessler trade, and and the piece you're getting is Brandon Sutter, like the piece you're getting is. I mean, the Sutter trade was different, but I'm just saying the that the Bonino trade, and they ended up trading Bonino afterwards for Brandon Sutter, but. To me, it's it's that like is that the piece? Is that the best piece if, in a trade that you want to make a guy under contract for it, seven more years? I it just can't be it. the best piece in the deal. Like no. it can't. And it, you know when I when I think about these things and I, and I've I've seen it on our text inbox and I've seen other people talk about it with Kokinemi. If everybody seems to feel like that's the wrong move, why would the front office feel differently? If I'm looking at it, if Kokinemi is part of any Horvat deal. It's almost as if the Canucks are taking that on as a bad contract, but they're still getting a premium package beyond that. So you're saying you're getting Morrow, you're getting Seth Jarvis, you're getting a pick. Yes. And you're ta- if you're doing that, so you, if you're doing that and he's part of the deal, okay, that, that's that okay is more intriguing. That's the only way I, I swallow that Kokanyemi contract. Right. Because there's, like, there's no metric you can look at. There's no reason, no statistic that suggests this guy's worth the money. No. That he's getting over no. the next seven years. I mean, that, that's an excellent way of looking at it. Yeah. Do you want to perhaps give up even more? Do you, do you want to shed anything else alongside that if you're taking Kokanami? I mean, Kokanami, you're taking him on. I mean, you're taking on over, over $30 million in future commitments. Yeah. It's a, a lot, lot of money. It's a lot of money. You know, uh, like, is that even enough? Is that is there anything else? Like, is there, do you want to throw Mixed Garland into that somehow because of the situation with, with Pacioretty? They were, I mean, they were talking to, about, they were already interested in Horvat before Pacioretty tore his Achilles yeah. last night or the other night. And now I think the interest is even more because they're in more more of a dire situation. But are they looking at that and somebody else potentially? Like, do you make it a bigger deal? Here's where it becomes NHL 23 to me too much when we start talking about Garland, this guy yeah. and that guy, right? And that's where it gets out of control. And we said that the same. We said the same thing two years ago, and the Canucks went out and made the OEL trade. Yes, and we had listeners who brought up that type of proposal and said, "What about Garland? What about 
you know, that do you make a bigger deal with Arizona with OEL potentially? I mean, that was something that was discussed before the Canucks did. And my response always was, it's too big. Yeah. You know, it's too many parts. A lot usually. of money. A lot, lot of, of money, money too many being moving exchanged. parts coming back. And usually those things fall apart. And lo and behold, the trade happened. Um, with the Canes, though, the, the thing I will say, obviously, is just as a reminder, you know, since Tom Dundon became owner, they don't pay high prices for rentals and they generally do not sign players deep into their 30s yeah. on big contracts. Uh, all the big contracts, most of the big contracts they have given out have been two players that are coming off of their entry levels or in they're signing those players through their prime, not beyond their prime years. So that's one thing to keep in mind with the Carolina Hurricanes. A lot of other questions. Detroit was mentioned. I know Frank Saravalli yeah. uh, talked about that. I've always looked at Detroit as a possible destination for Horvat in free agency. I just don't know if I, I see it as a fit in season with the Detroit Red Wings. The Columbus Blue Jackets, same thing. I mean, what incentive would the Columbus Blue Jackets have to acquire Bo Horvat right now? Yeah. There's none. There isn't. I mean, especially if he, if he's looking to get to free agency, anyways. Yes. The only way they would get interested is if they feel like that's the guy they really want, and they know he's not getting to free agency, and they have to pounce now. And as much as they may be interested in him, is that the level of interest they have? Yeah. And even then, you know, what are they willing to give up? Uh, given that they are very much in a tank season now, and would like to uh, probably build around a decent young crop of prospects that they've gotten their little retool they've had over the last couple of seasons. One other team that's been talked about a lot, they've already got a couple of uh, high price centers on their books, but the Nashville Predators seem to be coming up a lot when it comes to Bo Horvat. Yeah, and I think they're a team that has been mentioned, being interested, yep. in, uh, being interested in Bo as well. I'm really curious. I would be really curious to know what the Canucks think of somebody like Phil Tomasino. Yeah. You know, I know Bick's been talking about that link for a long time and whether that's something that could make sense or is that I know you guys would love Nashville hearing would me say it. Tomasino. I know, all the time, I know. You know? <laughs> that's why the deal has to happen at this stage. But <laughs> Or Fabro. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or both. <laughs> why not both? Why not both? So I, I wonder what they would view, how they view a player like him because that's the obvious guy that New Jersey has to move. I mean, uh, Nashville has that they can move. Yes. And they aren't going to move Cody Glass, most likely. They're already using him and believe in him. They have, you know, the other guys in front of them. There doesn't seem to be an easy pathway for Tomasino. Mm -hmm. So could it be expendable? And would Vancouver view him as a potential top six center, or right-handed top six center long-term? And if that's what you view or you like, do then, they like the prospect, Kemmel, who they drafted as well, the Finnish guy that the Canucks could have, that was kind of in the range where the Canucks were drafting um, as well when they took Lakira Mackey. So there are some guys there that are interesting, but I'd be interested to know what Vancouver thinks of those guys. Because if Vancouver thinks of Tomasino like Newhook potentially, and they may like Newhook, I'm not even saying they don't. Like Maybe they think Newhook is a top six center that has two-way potential. But if they view him as somebody who's more of a third-line type of guy, then, you know, are they... So not, not much of a starter. Right. But if they like him, then they would be interesting. I think that's why Nashville's kind of there. They're willing to do something along those lines. Like, he's one of their better prospects, one of their better young players, I should say. Played in the league last year, this year, obviously not having as much success. He had 30 points last year as a rookie. Yeah. It's not like he doesn't have some potential. Uh, I don't think, you know, Cody Glass does it for the Vegas. 
<laughs> so yeah. you can you could save your texts on that. Yeah, and somebody texted and said you guys are sleeping on Jameson Reese on the Canes. You know, one thing I will absolutely admit to is that there are going to be unlikely will be when the trade does happen when it's likely to happen. It's usually not the most obvious prospect. There's going to be some players named yeah. that we're going to be like, oh, that guy, really? Oh, okay. I mean, we're not. The way other teams view other teams' prospects are so different than how we on the outside view certain players. Because oftentimes we view a guy, don't watch him all the time, and we're still thinking back to the pedigree or the knowledge we had about what the player was and where they were going ranked. into the draft, things like that. And yeah. with the league, the good teams around the league, they're consistently scouting all these guys or consistently ranking them year in and year out and, and projecting where they're at. And they may be a lot higher and lower on some guys, right? There might be guys we don't hear about or we, that aren't mentioned as much, like a Jamison Reese, like a Texter mentions. And they might be really down on some... Like, let's say, for instance, we now mention L.A. They might be down on Quinton Byfield, for instance. Right. Like, if L.A. is willing to trade Quinton Byfield, who struggled and isn't even having all that much success in the AHL level, if they think he's a bust, why would Vancouver not think he's a bust, potentially? Right. You know? So... You know, that, that's the other question to ask. That's why the most obvious guys may not be the players they're after or the players they even like. Um, Marty the Red, which GM is wild enough to overpay? Uh, that's, that's probably the moment we're in right now. You know, if you're the Canucks, especially if you have a bunch of offers that have at least been floated out there from several teams, do you get a desperate GM? Over the weekend, that's like, I want to make this trade now, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? That's uh, Canucks hold a lot of leverage as it currently stands. And probably as you get closer to the deadline, maybe you lose some of that leverage. Uh, if you are the Vancouver Canucks, as teams uh, maybe drop off or try to uh, use the deadline as a way to uh, pressure the Canucks into making that deal. Uh, all right. It is Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We've still got a lot to get to. Yannick Hansen is going to join us. His take on the Canucks, where they're headed, and um, what's going on with Bruce Boudreaux right now as well. That's next on Canucks Central. Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Canucks in Colorado Avalanche coming tonight. You'll be able to watch it on Sportsnet. And, of course, we'll have pregame as well coming up on Sportsnet Pacific at 6.30. Uh, Canucks have the Avalanche number in uh, each of their last three meetings, finding ways to beat those defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, so we'll see what happens tonight at Rogers Arena. Let's bring in our next guest. He is Yannick Hansen. All Yannick right. Hansen. He dropped off the line. He dropped off the line. He'll be we'll get back to Yannick. He'll be all right. We'll get him back in a second. Uh, a lot of takes on Bruce Boudreaux on the text inbox. We'll get to Bruce. We wanted to uh, start the show talking about the Bull Horvat stuff. Yep. But uh, we'll get to the Bruce stuff. And we'll talk to Yannick about the Bruce stuff. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll have some questions about Bruce too, and and the coaching situation coming up in the mailbag. I would yes, I would say that's uh, that's likely. And we've got an extended pregame show today uh, after five thirty, going into puck drop. A lot of time to talk about Bruce. Um, I know you know he is a um, he's such a well liked figure, and why not? Uh, given who he is as a person, so we'll see 
how um, how this all turns out over the weekend. But uh, it was a tough, tough scene today for the Vancouver Canucks and for Bruce Boudreau. Uh, all right, let's bring in our next guest. It is Yannick Hansen joining us. Uh, this analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Mentor Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick, what's happening? How are you? Not too much, not too much, and always a pleasure. So what's going on? Uh, well, a, a lot of the same uh, with, with this team right now. And uh, it, it kind of feels similar to where we were last year before the changes were made around uh, Travis and, and Jim Benning, um, where it's kind of just like everybody's waiting, uh, players included, for that next shoe to drop before things kind of continue on here. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, they didn't learn anything of what you should say. You try not to be in the same situation year after year, but for some reason, that's where we find us now. For yeah, uh, and again, it, it's not like you couldn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. And as an outsider, obviously, it's easy to say, "Oh, we fix the D and get rid of this guy and that guy, and and get these guys in instead, and then it's fixed." I, I do realize that it's it's not that easy. And again, you're trying to unload some some bad contracts and, and who's going to take that. So, so that's obviously the challenge that that is. Um, but, but again, like you said, now everybody is kind of wait for waiting for that domino to, to fall. And I think obviously the writing is on the wall. Um, but again, that can't be the only thing this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, players are at fall too here. Um, so it, it's not just a matter of, of bringing in, uh, a new head coach and, and hope that solves everything. No, uh, the, the problem obviously runs a little bit deeper here. And again, some some more drastic measures are, are, are hopefully coming that will put the, the team, the organization on, on a proper path that it hasn't been for a while. Yeah, and we're all waiting for those uh, deals to go down. And, and so far, really, the biggest storyline continues to be the, the not only the Bull Horvath stuff, which we'll get to, but Bruce Boudreaux. And today, obviously, getting emotional when being asked about his future and him knowing what's going on. As a former player watching the situation unfold, and there's been a lot of criticism league-wide and from a lot of people about how Vancouver's handled it and, and how it's gotten to this stage. What's your outlook on how this has been handled and whether this is a bad look or not? Do you guys remember, was it Florida, Gerard Gallant? Yeah. Uh, taking the cap from the rink? Yeah. It, it's, it's like that. It, it's such a bad spot. Like, I get it. You're, you're trying to, to find a new coach, and you've got to kind of have him ready before you let the other one go. But this isn't a team that's like, uh, we, need, we, we don't need this coaching change right now. We don't need it a week from now. We don't need it a month from now. That this team isn't going anywhere um so do right by a guy who came in here and breathed life into the organization last year and saved the season to where it became watchable uh, because it's not fair to him um and i get it you're gonna fire him and you're gonna let him go he's not your guy you called him out you've uh, challenged the way he ran a camp and all these things his systems but but he he's won 600 games in this league like uh, at some point you you got to treat people right uh, and it wasn't right and it wasn't done right yeah and it's um yeah it's gone on for far too long right i think everybody is almost in agreement in in, in agreement there now when i think about jim rutherford's comments from from earlier in the week yannick um you know, he seemed to almost allude to the idea that 
uh, and he's alluded to this all year, that a new coach, uh, better structure, all of these things can can help a lot of what's ailed the Vancouver Canucks this season. I mean, how much, in, in your estimation, can a coach make a difference for a team? Well, uh, yeah, you saw what Bruce did with the same team last year that, that Greener had, and it turned it around. But, but again, there are deeper problems, obviously. And last year, a lot of it got masked by tremendous goaltending. And this year, goaltending has been very far below average, and, and we're mm-hmm. seeing the result of it. It's not something you can do in the long run. Yeah, you change the system a little bit, and it'll help you, and it'll protect you a little bit better. But but again, you're you're playing to the strength of the team, and the strength of this team right now is their offensive uh, run and gun guys, and that's where you're playing right now. Um, so unless you you change the the defensive side of the game um, and the defensive players to players that are better adapted at defending, maybe take more pride in defending than than the group you have right now um i i you'll keep seeing the same result uh so personal is one thing and that's got to come first and yet there yeah once you start implementing a more defensively sound system um it it can it can help you as well but you need a buy-in too Mm -hmm. and that buy-in is winning one-on-one battles it's blocking shots it's not cheating and no coach no system can fix that that that's on on the player themselves, the owners on on taking that pride. We just saw Tampa Bay come through, and again it was it was great to see Stammer getting his his 500 goals and all these things. But in the cup runs we saw, like the way he was blocking shots, like it, that that's what it takes, and that's what you need to see from everybody. And when you see that from your leader. Then, then everybody falls in line and everybody does it. Because if they don't, then the door is right there and, and they're out in the first one. Uh, and it's that simple. But, but you need everybody to do it and it needs to stop from, start from the top and, and it hasn't here. Uh, so again, it, it's, it's more than just bringing in a new guy and a new voice uh, and a new system. And that's the, the one of the big questions about these players. It's it's you know how capable are they of doing some of these things? And clearly, a lot of the roster is going to change. They do want to convince clearly Elias Patterson to stay here long term. And Rutherford said he's not worried about that. How important do you think it is for a player like him this off season to have that new coach in place and you know make some moves and and try to explain a plan for him that makes sense and is going to be successful? How key do you think that is? Well, I think he, if Pedersen and, and Quinn Hughes and those guys, they've seen a ton of turmoil now in their mm-hmm. short careers. This will be their their third coach in, in a short span. Very little success. A uh, lot of drama, a lot of uh, negative stuff. So again, you, you need to find some sort of uh, of continuity here, some sort of success. Um, same voice pulling in the same direction, all these things you can say. But, but again, players want some sort of stability and, and they haven't provided they haven't been provided that here um, Vancouver has an opportunity here where you have three core pieces that are young that are locked in at favorable deals uh, that you can build around um, but again you, you you gotta you gotta sh- show a path to these guys that hey we, we are building something here so they can see themselves competing pd has said this numerous time well i, I want to play on a team that can win i want to play on a team that can compete if he looks at the roster well that's probably not what he sees um so so again you you got to show a path here otherwise he'll he'll take his uh, his qualifying offer uh, a year or two and, and then he's free to go wherever he will 
Um, so, so that's the danger here. Like, you, you got to prove to these guys that, hey, we, we, we're building something and, and we need you to be a part of it and you are a big part of it. Sell it to them and then execute it and not continue with this. Oh, we're, we're bringing in these mid-20s guys. We hope we can turn around and, and turn into players maybe down the road and, and we're going to do this in a quick order and we can turn around. And you want, like, it, it's got to be done so you believe it, and not the same thing we've been we've been been told over the last decade now that that hasn't hasn't happened. Uh, Yannick Hansen, our guest. Um, so a lot of uh, trade chatter picking up around Bo Horvat right now. Strictly from from Bo's perspective, like what's what's a good fit for him if he if he goes to a team where they already have a matchup center in place and he can kind of just be another or what he's been doing this year and that's play a lot of offensive minutes, get a lot of offensive chances. Is that, is that sort of the best case scenario for Bo Horvat? Best case scenario is land on a team that can win for him. Um, and then you, you find out whatever role, obviously Bo is who he is. Uh, and he is, he is the perfect number two center that you can match up against anybody uh, wins a ton of draw uh, and all these things um, on a contender. He's not a number one uh, and he will never, Never be a number one, in my opinion. He is a phenomenal number two centers, and everybody needs them. Um, so, again, a- any team that can win is one he should be happy to go to uh, and, and get a chance. And, and again, the, the priority in, the, in this league is so close that you can't uh, you can't you can't just throw that dart and say this is the team that's going to win. No, it, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need some luck too. So there are probably a handful of teams out there. Uh, where where you can see yourself okay this this is a team that can win uh, and then you need luck you need things to go right you don't get injured you need your players to continue performing all these things uh, but again in the place that Bo is in now it is like getting getting dealt to a contender a legitimate contender where you can win and then does that happen to be a team that that you can see yourself in the long Mm-hmm. One with afterwards that that second hand uh, in both situation it is got to be winning above all uh, like you have you have one year here where you're you get free pickings um, get a chance to play on a contender no question because you get dealt when there is what twenty some odd games left uh, you know they're in the playoff you know they're in the top you know they have a team that can compete. Uh, and then you get to make a run with these guys, and then you get to make a decision uh, afterwards if that's what you choose. I know obviously there's this sign and trade out there as well, and then you're at the mercy of again guessing if this is where I'm I'm gonna mm-hmm. like to be for the next eight or nine years if that's the case. So uh, again, he he's got a lot of cards here in that sense. But again, getting dealt to to a contender where you you get if you will a, a free run at it where you haven't had to be part of. Uh, of getting to that point, no, you're just dropping in and then get a chance to to get a lick at it. You know, one of the things that you know I kind of wonder about still, and I know Rutherford came out and said that they've made their last their best offer to Bo essentially, and but they've said you know if he wants to sign essentially he's going to have to take less. If they get a little closer to something, maybe they go back to him and say, hey, "You sure you don't want to take this deal?" What would your reaction be that if we we sit here next week and somehow the Canucks sign Bo Horvat to an extension? Like, what would your reaction be about the direction of the team and how things are going if they actually do end up keeping Bo? Yeah, I think if if you're signing Bo, you sign JT Miller, you're going to sign probably Petey in the summer. Um, obviously, you're not taking a step back or, or looking at 
three or four years down the road. No, you're looking at next year or the year be beyond that. And then again, if that's the direction you take, well, how are you going to fix the the defense then in short order? Because now you don't have the time to let contracts burn out and uh, run out on these things. Now, no, you now you need to add pieces again. Um, salary cap isn't going up, so so where are you going to find? Um, find wiggle room to to add these players that supposedly are going to make the team better going into next year because there's no question if you sign Bo you're, you're not looking to take a couple steps back you're, you're looking to get right back into it next year um, but with, with what wiggle room do you have so it would surprise me uh, again you don't know if they if they manage to move somebody else uh, do they get to, to a chance to trade a JT Miller or, or something like that instead and then you're you're right back to where we're talking to right now um, but again I, I'd be surprised if that's the direction they're choosing uh, I, I mean we've been We've been hearing and talking about change and, and change of direction and major surgery just a couple of days ago. And again, signing Bohorra to, to a contract that, that doesn't really make uh, any seismic shifts in, in the landscape, in, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, change definitely needed. Um, there, there was so much that came out of that, that Rutherford News Conference, but... Um, uh, he mentioned, you know, we we need to play more like a team, or we need mm -hmm. to become a team. From from a player's perspective, um, what do you what do you read into into that when when Jim Rutherford says it, and what do you think he means? Players being a little bit selfish, um, mm -hmm. cheating, um, trying to get points, um, those those kind of things where you're, you're taking the easy way out. Um, maybe taking a chance, um, not playing the right way. And I know it's cliches that I'm spitting out here, but, but those are the things that when you don't play as a team, well, you're, you're looking after number one. And that mm -hmm. means you're, you're taking a couple of chances here and there to maybe score a goal, get an opportunity. And, and so what if, if we give up uh, another goal because we're losing anyways? Uh, that kind of mantra. Um, and, and that's just a, a bad, bad uh spot to get into because again it's it's festering in the dressing room and then everybody starts doing it uh, and then you, you're going to be you're going to be losing a lot and then you're going to have a hard time finding a way to get that team mentality where you're putting yourself in front because why should I jump in front of this bomb of a one-timer mm -hmm. when the next guy isn't doing it and I end up might getting hurt and then I don't get to play the next six weeks well, he's not doing it either, so maybe I'm just getting my stick in the lane instead, and then you're just, yeah, it, it's bad. It, it's not a good spot to be in. Um, and, and then the only thing that'll, that'll correct that is you need an off-season. Mm -hmm. And then you need this change in the off-season and going into the next year. But again, we've been talking about playing the right way, and then they talk about it, and we talk about it, we really need to do it here, training camp comes, and then boom, season rolls around, and then we see the same stuff again. So it's you gotta you, you gotta start find a way to do it, and I, I touched on it before. It's gotta start from the top. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be those guys, because then you can start really holding guys accountable. Because when you have Bo jumping in front of one timers, JT Miller or PD, whoever it might be, then if somebody else doesn't do it, you send them down, send them, set them out, buy them out, do whatever you mean, and then that'll send a message. But you cannot do that when these guys get away with it as well. 
um, then it doesn't work. Uh, so so it's gotta it's gotta come from the leadership group, mm-hmm. and then you can start holding everybody accountable. Well, you just nailed it because it's one of those situations, and you saw it here in the past where Vancouver, you know, they they try to bring in some of those veterans, you know, Beagle and Roussel and so on. But it has to come from your very top guys. And this notion of maybe in the off season they might sign a veteran on a one year deal or something to come and show these guys the way. I'm not sure that's effective. So how important is it? And I'm not saying go out and, and hire go go out and trade all your assets for a this veteran established leader but is it important to bring somebody in one way or another not give up too many asses for that can play in, on the top of your lineup and and maybe show some of those qualities that's tough and, and like right now I'm, I'm thinking obviously manny what he came to and brought into our dressing yeah. room but but i don't manny wouldn't change anything in this team mm-hmm. like it it's it, it's deeper than that uh, Manny was the perfect guy to come in to show great leaders how to become phenomenal leaders and, and take a load off from the team in, in other areas. Um, but but those are the players that you look to when you're on the cusp, not not when you're bottom drawing. Uh, then then it, it needs to come from from your young guys, and they need to learn. Obviously, they need some some sort of experience around them and you do have a little bit of that um you get the sense that luke shen is there uh obviously it's not it's not a lot you got rid of edler you got rid of tanev uh you got rid of those guys that that could provide some of that um but but, but again it it's it's not just an easy fix and say oh we're going to get mm-hmm. this guy and he's going to show them no they have to start winning uh, and they have to start believing that they can win and this is the way we're going to be playing. And then slowly we, we can start developing the right culture uh, that we've been talking about for two or three years now. Culture is not going to come until they start winning. And they aren't going to start winning until they start playing the right way. And it's, it is the chicken and the egg. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to come first, but but it has to find a way. So they, they have to look inside themselves and say, okay, now I'm now I'm willing to play the right way and do the right thing. And then I'm willing to do it not just for a little bit, but this is how we're going to be playing from now on. This is how we're going to be practicing from now on. This is how we're going to be preparing from now on. So it's not just, it's life. Like it's not just the the, the 45 minutes we show up to practice and the two hours it takes to play a game. Like you're an NHL player, like the, that's your life. It's the, from the minute you wake up and until you go to sleep. It, it's preparing, um, taking care of yourself and resting and getting ready for, for the next day. Um, and again, maybe it, it's a little bit too fun to play in the NHL right now. And that's why we're seeing this. Uh, incredible stuff, Yannick. Honestly, like fantastic stuff as always. Uh, you have our text inbox and our listeners on Twitter buzzing as well with, with everything you're saying tonight. But before we let you go, I didn't want to ask you something about one of the games we've watched. And unfortunately, like Yannick, remember this in the playoffs a few years ago, in the bubble playoffs, we talked during intermissions and post games. We were breaking down plays and games, and we just haven't done that enough. But one thing I want to throw by you is Quinn Hughes. And you scored that goal against the Colorado Avalanche, taking the puck to the net. And something that Boudreaux talked about post game is they were talking to him more about doing that and we spoke about this a while back saying Quinn's shot is never going to be this huge threat he had no goals for like what 30 some games for the season now he's up to four and he's driving the net more is that sustainable is that more of what you want to see in terms of him trying to take guys on and scoring goals and and how much of a bigger threat can he be if he does that more consistently there should be no limit on Quinn Hughes in terms of um, offensive instinct and abilities Um, that's where he needs his partner to cover for him uh, he needs okay. I'm on. I'm the center, and Quinn Hughes is jumping. Over. He might be going here. I might need to look to to cover him. Um, when you have these type of players, the X factor 
um, they need to be that X factor because all of a sudden they show up, you don't expect them to be, and that creates a two-on-one, that creates half a breakaway. Um, so again, there should be no strings on him. Obviously, you can't just go out there and, and not care about defense. But when he has the puck, you're free. In the offensive zone, you're free. Um, I don't know if we're going to see uh, Kale McCarr tonight. He was out last uh, the other game here. But, but again, that's a perfect example of, of a guy who managed to does, do both. Um, he is. He looks to be free, uh, no no boundaries in what he's allowed to do offensively. But again, he has that partner that, that can cover for him. And again, he doesn't cheat, so he does defensive well. And the skating gets him out of a lot of trouble. And again, these things I'm saying, it's the same thing we can kind of relate to Quinn Hughes. Skating gets him out of the trouble. Phenomenal offensively. Um, again, they're not at the same level, obviously, Um accolades and all these things included but again you can see some of the similarities um but again you need to you need to find a way to protect him to insulate him so when he does take these chances um it doesn't end up costing you or hurting you in the other end um because then again you can you can tap on this uh, potentially uh, phenomenal offensive instinct and and really let a let a guy go that you can't defend against because again you're you're out there five on five and you get two defensemen and a center but once you have that that defenseman joining and there aren't a lot of these there haven't been a lot I think I've played against maybe a couple and one that comes to mind was Niedemeyer way way back in the days where you never know where he was and all of a sudden he's in the, in the slot for a one-timer or backdoor place because they're so elusive and they're so so good at skating and they get themselves in into these positions and again instinct comes in here because the puck just seems to find them um but again you need to protect them and and you need to have a system in place that uh, that can take care of them yannick we appreciate the time as always thanks for this my pleasure take care guys have a great weekend there is uh yannick hansen uh always has uh the text box says spitting facts yes as always sam says uh hire this guy uh, Don't Canuck do that. Should hire Hanson as what somebody else texted in. Don't Go do that because then we wouldn't get to talk to him every week. Don't yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Eh, I got it. <laughs> and he's not going to give us any. It's not like you know how it's like. Oh yeah, our friend's going to be with the Canucks. We'll get info. Yeah. Yannick. Yannick's such a team guy. He wouldn't say anything. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't say anything. That's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, always great from uh, from Yannick Hanson. Uh, so. So much uh, to to continue to get to. We've got a lot of your questions coming up here in the mailbag. We'll get to those and a lot of pregame discussions as well going into tonight's matchup with the Colorado Avalanche. No Kale McCarr for the Avs in this one. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You've been listening, or you are listening, to Canuck Central.